0: I have been so blessed by the music, haven't you? You folks were blessed here. Y'all know that. And I thank the Lord for that. Our choir's coming in. I want to do something tonight. I always take a few minutes, no matter where I'm at in the country, on Sunday night to ask folks to pray for our family and our ministry. So don't time me. I'm not preaching yet, okay? Uh, I'll tell you when to put the preacher on the clock, but I listen, the best thing you can do for me is pray for my family. Um, our ministry is very much a family ministry. Uh, I'm in my 30th year on the road, preach about 40, two or three weeks a year, most of those weeks on the road, and uh, we live in Jacksonville, Florida. We're members of the great North Jacksonville Baptist Church. I've got some dear friends uh, from our church greeting me here this morning that uh, go to North Jackson, but that's where our membership is. My wife, Judy, I talked to her on the phone a while ago. She's on her way to church. Let me tell you about my wife, Judy. She is by far the best Christian in our family, and it's not even close. Uh, for all these years, she's packed my bags and sent me on the road, and she will be in the office tomorrow. We're already getting ready for our student camps. And so she'll be in the office working tomorrow. And uh, the best thing you can do is pray for our family. Judy is her name. And then I have three children and they've all worked for the ministry at one time or another. Both my girls have been ministry secretaries, worked at camp. My oldest daughter, Rachel, lives in Augusta and is married to a student minister, Augusta, Georgia. And they've blessed us with three little grandchildren. Mother daughter, Jessica, lives in St. Augustine, Florida, married to a high school football coach, athletic director. They've blessed us with two other grandchildren. They only live about an hour from us. And I've got a picture of those five grandkids right here. I keep it in my Bible. I'll be glad to pass it around after the service. I I used to wonder why grandparents were so goofy and went around with pictures. Isn't it grand being a grandparent? Can I get a witness? Uh, Hey, can I tell you the greatest thing? I finally figured this grandkid thing out. The coolest thing is we get to watch the grandkids do to the parents what the parents did to us. Is that not the coolest thing? And so that's, that's fun. My son Jonathan is our third child and our baby. Jonathan still works for us. He works full-time for our ministry and is our camp director and does all our graphic designs and all that stuff. And does preaching around and uh, speaks at camps and things. And uh, Jonathan and his wife, Amanda, have no children. They've been married just a few years. They live in Jacksonville, Florida. the best thing you can do is pray for our family and I'd be grateful. Uh, Thank you so much. I wanna say a quick word about tomorrow night, then I'll preach. What a great crowd this is tonight. Almost a completely full house. And I I do this all the time. In May, ideally sometimes, there are so many conflicts, May is not maybe sometime ideal, uh, for revival, aren't you glad I told you that? But uh, we're defying the odds. We're having revival anyway with everything going on. And I like what your pastor's doing for the men tomorrow night, the women too tonight. So I pray you'll come uh, tomorrow night, be in the house of the Lord. Take your Bibles tonight if you would and find Second Kings chapter four. In the early service this morning, we were in First Kings. Tonight I'm in Second Kings. And I stand before you trembling a little bit. And this isn't just preacher talk, Okay. I told Brother David, the sermon I'm going to preach, I had no intention of preaching uh, tonight. I was going to preach it tomorrow night or Tuesday. I knew God wanted it this week. I've never preached this sermon on a Sunday night. Usually on Sunday night, I like to preach to the church about commitment and things like that. I just believe God wants this preached. And the choir song helped verify that. I'm preaching about somebody going through a trial tonight. There's somebody here that can't experience revival because of the difficulty you're going through. So I really believe God wants ministry done tonight. And I'm preaching on this subject, when trouble knocks at your door. When trouble knocks at your door. One of the great miracles of the Old Testament. Stand for the reading of the word of God. Would you do that? Everybody in the house standing? I am in 2 Kings chapter four, and I'm going to read the first seven verses. This is the prophet that followed Elijah. This is old Elisha. 2 Kings 4, 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee, and upon thy sons, it shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him, and shut the door upon her, and upon her sons, and brought the vessels to her, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full, I believe I'll read that one more time. It came to pass when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there's not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay thy debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. Now, I don't know if you understand what you just read or not, but I'm gonna tell you this is one of the great miracles where God took one little jar of oil and absolutely used it to pay off debts. That's what I'm preaching about tonight. I'm preaching on this subject, when trouble knocks at your door. When trouble knocks at your door. Thank God for the reading of his inerrant book. Please be seated and pray with me. Would you do that? God, I'm honest when I tell these people I stand before them trembling tonight. God, I believe this is the message you won't preach tonight, and I sure do need your help. God, I need you to set me free. God I need you to loose me. God, I pray you to loose me now and let me go. God I tell my enemy, He's not welcome here. He is a liar and he is a loser, and he is not welcome in this house. God, would you do the preaching right now? Set somebody free tonight, God, and I'll thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Job 14.1 says, Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. I still love that great story of the daddy that walked by his 15-year-old son Cody's bedroom one day, looked in, saw the bed completely made, not one stitch of clothes or trash laid on the floor. He about had a heart attack. He'd never seen the room look like that. He was so thrilled. He walked in while he was taking pride in the room, he looked over and saw an envelope on the Pillow on his son's bed and the front of the envelope said, I'm so sorry, dearest mom and dad. With trembling hands he picked up the envelope, opened it up, here's what it said. It was from his fifteen-year-old son, Cody. He said, Dear dad, I couldn't stand a confrontation with you and mom. I had to do this by letter. Dad, I've decided to elope with my 24-year-old girlfriend. Her name is Cindy. Dad, she's not your kind of girl. All her, li- her lips are pierced together. She has to eat her food through a straw. She's got so many tattoos, she looks like a road map. And Dad, she's a member of a cult, and every night there's a full moon. She goes outside and barks and howls at the moon. And Dad... I knew that you and mom wouldn't approve. She's also a member of a motorcycle gang and her nickname is Moon Babe. But dad, she's pregnant with my child and I'm the father, I'm gonna marry her dad. Don't worry about money, we're gonna live at Cindy's trailer out in the woods where she grows and sells marijuana. But dad, would you please pray they find a cure for AIDS soon because Cindy's got it. I'll never see you again, your loving son Cody. Then at the bottom, he put PS, dad, none of what you've read is true. I'm really hanging out over at Tommy's house. I just wanted you to know there's worse news in the world than the report card you'll find under my pillow. (laughs) Dad, please call me when it's safe to come home. Love, Cody. (laughs) I said, I'm going to tell you something. Cody was in a heap of trouble, wasn't he, buddy? Now, I don't know if you're in trouble tonight or not, but if you are in trouble, you know one thing, it's certainly not a joke. And if you're not in trouble, can I just go ahead and give you a word? If you're not in trouble now, one day trouble's going to turn down your street. It's going to park in your driveway. It's going to walk on your front porch, and trouble's going to knock at your door. That's exactly where this woman was in the book of 2 Kings. you understand the trouble this widow woman was in, ladies? I'm telling you, this woman is in one mess. The Bible tells us that this woman's young husband had died. And the Bible says now this widow's trying to raise two boys by herself. On top of everything else, her income has stopped. She has no way to pay the bills. And so now the creditors are lined up at the doors like compassionless wolves and they're threatening to take her sons. This woman has no food, no job, no money. She is absolutely destitute. She has nowhere else to turn. And we pick up the story when she's in a counseling session with the prophet Elisha. Look what it says in verse 2. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, that handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. All she had was one little pot of oil. Bible scholars believe it was maybe 12 ounces. One little bitty pot of oil. Now, you know, preacher, I've read this story, never preached on it before till now when God gave me this sermon. But I thought, why in the world would this seven-verse story be tucked over in the pages of the Word of God? And you know what I believe? I believe it's there for a reason tonight. I believe it's a reason of encouragement. I believe God wants everybody in this house to know that my God will make a way when there seems to be no way. Did you hear what I said? If you don't believe that, just ask Moses, son. God made a way when he turned the Red Sea into a sidewalk. Just ask Samson. God made a way when he turned the jawbone of a donkey into a weapon of mass destruction. Just ask David. God made a way when he turned a shepherd boy into a giant killer. Just ask Ask Daniel. God made a way when he turned a lion's den into a sleepover. Just ask Andrew. God made a way when he turned a basket of food into a buffet, supersized it and fed a multitude. And if you still don't believe that, ask this widow woman who saw God make a way when he turned one little pot of oil into an oil well. Y'all know what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say there's no burden too big for my God. There's no grief too great for my God. There's no problem too puzzling for my God. God. There's no storm too strong for my God. I'm telling you, my God's Jehovah God, and my God will make a way when there seems to be no way. And there might be trouble. There might be trouble knocking at your door tonight. If you've got trouble knocking at your door, there's three things you need to remember. Go and get good now, son. Don't miss this. Three things you better remember, son. When trouble knocks at your door, you better trust the promises of God. I'm gonna say that one more time. You better trust the promises of God. Notice how the passage begins in verse 1. The Bible said there cried a certain woman. Unless you think I'm being dramatic students, that word cried don't mean she's dabbing tears from her eyes. That word cried means to shriek in agony. It is a picture of an animal that is in great distress, howling. The word cried, this is a cry of urgency. It's a cry of emergency. It's a cry of fervency. This woman's world has fallen apart. I love to tell stories about my granddaughters. They are such a hoot. Little Ainsley's five years old. Christmas at our house this year, we have Christmas the day after Christmas. We do it at our house that way on the 26th. That way my kids can spend Christmas with their in-laws and then they can spend Christmas with their kids around their own tree. They come to our home Christmas night. And the day after Christmas, we celebrate Christmas with my kids and grandkids. Boy, little Ansley had a wonderful Christmas morning this year at our house. I mean, son, she got about everything she wanted. She got a Wonder Woman blanket. She got a Wonder Woman doll. She got a little scooter thing with Frozen characters, emblems on there. She had such a good time. But then her world began to fall apart. I mean, there's four of them little cousin girls I told them in the first service about them, and it's wonderful. They don't see each other three or four times a year, and they're kissing cousins for several hours. And then after that, son, it's all over. And I'm telling you, little Angely, in a little while came downstairs that day after that wonderful Christmas morning. She's upset because her sister pulled her necklace off her neck and broke it. Mama took care of it, her mother took care of it, sent her back upstairs. A little while later she comes downstairs, her and one of her little cousins got in a fight, and she's all upset. Mama took care of that center back upstairs. A little while later, because she's the baby of those four cousins, uh, all three of them were having a little game, wouldn't let her play, because she was too little. Well, she's upset. Come downstairs, and her mother sent her back up. Then she scraped her knee, and that was another sob, and back upstairs, and finally, the day ended when they were having a little tea party, and her little tea set upstairs in a little playroom we have got. Angie leaned back, lost her balance, and cracked the back of her head on the wall, and a big old knot came up. And Nancy come downstairs after she finished sobbing. I'm holding her and I'm kissing on her. And I looked at her and I said, Baby girl, wouldn't you quit crying? I said, Have you had a good day? And that little five-year-old girl looked at me, and this is a quote. She said, This is the worst day of my life. That's what she said. And you know what I did? I just leaned over and kissed her. I didn't tell her this. I could have said this, honey, you better enjoy it. It's gonna get a whole lot worse than this, son. Can I get a witness? I mean, one of these days, you're going to have babies and you're going to raise kids and you're going to run a household and you're going to feed a husband. you got to take care of yourself. It's going to get a whole lot worse than this. Do you know one of the worst lies that ever slithered out of hell? It's this lie that once you get saved, you're never going to have any more problems. That once you come to Jesus, that you're exempt from all problems and difficulty. I want you to know that's a lie that slithered out of hell. And there may be somebody just like this woman. Understand why this woman needed the promises of God. This woman needed the promises of God for a couple of quick reasons. Number one, she needed his promises because she was helpless. Don't miss that, helpless. Look what the Bible says in the rest of that first verse. What a verse of tragedy. There cried, verse 1, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. Now, I'm not going to be long with this, but that teenagers, that phrase, sons of the prophets, tells me a lot right there. Her husband was a Bible college student, for they were in the sons of the prophets. That was a school led by Professor Elisha. So now I learn a great deal from that one sentence. Her husband was a young preacher. So now the young preacher's dead. And by the way, I don't need to finish the verse, but I will. Can I remind you if you're in college now, and especially if you're married in college, how tight money is? Oh, come on, son. I mean, they're already struggling, no doubt. And now the Bible says this young Bible college student is dead. Now look at the verse, line three. She says unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord and the creditors come to take it in my two sons to be bondsmen. See what's going on. So would you get a middle picture? I mean this woman absolutely is at the bottom of the barrel. Her young husband is dead. They have no 401k retirement plan. They have no social security. They have no welfare. They have no safety net. And on top of everything else now they're lining up the door to take her house and her kids. I mean when she goes to the mailbox all she's got is eviction notices and threatening letters and, and all these ugly ugly Statements being made about her, and they're going to take her boys. Because these students, in Bible days, when you took out a loan, you used your family as collateral. And if you couldn't pay the bills, they're coming for the kids. If you couldn't pay the bills, they're coming to get your children. Can you imagine somebody in a worse situation? I'm telling you, this woman has lost it all, and now she's about to lose her boys. And the Bible says she comes to the prophet Elisha. I can easily say this woman's world was in a mess. I was preaching last year, preacher. A woman comes up to my book table and she had a book under her arm. And she came up to my book table asking about one of our books. And she, she predicated everything by saying, Preacher, I'm looking for a book because my world is a mess. That's how she said it. My world's a mess. And she began to tell me a little bit about it. And I noticed she didn't have a Bible, but she had a book. And she said, When I'm in trouble, I buy books. I like to read Christian books. And she showed me the book that she had. And it was a book by a man named Joel Osteen. You've heard of him, Joel Osteen. And I'm here to make fun of anybody. That was the book. It was his book, Become a Better You, Joel Osteen's book. And she hands me this book. She says, I'm reading this book. And here's what she said. The reason I brought this, bought this book, is because he's got such a nice smile. And I thought somebody with such a nice smile could help me. And she said, well, I've got one of his books, now I want one of your books. And I'm thinking, you don't need one of my books. I mean, my land, I'm not Joel. I don't have teeth like Joel. I don't have hair like Joel. I mean, my wife's prettier than Joel's wife, but other than that, I mean, I don't have anything like Joel. And so I said, well, I thought, why in the world would she want one of my books? now?" again, notice, I'm not making fun of Joel Osteen. She had one of Joel's books. She wants one of mine. And folks, I noticed she didn't have a Bible. And so I said, I noticed you don't have a Bible. She said, no, I don't read the Bible. She said, I too I get lost in the Bible. I like to read these self-help books. Now, you know what I told her, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. I told her, you don't need one of my books and you don't need one of Joel's books, but I can recommend a book. There is one book that you need to turn to when all hell's breaking loose in your life. For in this book are the promises of Almighty God. Someone has said there's 3,000 promises in this book. Somebody else counted and said there's 7,000. A Christian author, Herbert Lockyer, says there's 8,000. I don't know how many promises are in the Word of God. There seems to be one on every page. But if anybody needs a promise tonight, can I just give you a few? I'm not going to give you 8,000. I'm not going to give you 80. But can I just give you a few promises? Exodus 14, 14 promises the Lord will follow. Fight for you. Psalm 23, 4 promises that even when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death he walks with me. Psalm 34, 7 promises the angel of the Lord camps out next to those who are in trouble and those who fear him. Psalm 60, 61 verse 3 promises God is my strong tower when my enemies declared war on me. Psalm 27, 1 promises the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Lamentations 3 22 and 23 promises his compassions they fail not. Great is his faithfulness. Isaiah 54 17 promises no weapon formed against a child of God shall stand. Isaiah 40 31 promises but they that wait upon the Lord they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. John 14 27 promises when I'm in trouble the Lord is with me. Hebrews 13 5 promises my God will never leave me or forsake me. Can I remind you when you're in the dark, He is the light. When you're in the corner, He is the door. When you're tied up in knots, He is the one who's holding on to the rope. When you don't know how to face tomorrow, He's the one that holds tomorrow. When you're insufficient, He's sufficient. When you're hungry, He's the bread. When you're thirsty, he is the water of life. When you need a way, he's the way maker. When you're in pain, he's the pain taker. Can I remind you, he is Jehovah God. He was on the throne yesterday. He's on the throne today. He'll be on the throne tomorrow. Nobody's big enough to overthrow him. He's not going to be conquered. There's not going to be a coup. He's not going to lose an election. He is the Lord God Almighty that knows everything about everything that goes on in my life. And I promise I promise you he can handle it, church, he can handle it. Matter of fact, matter of fact, I give her permission right now to talk in church. Look at your neighbor and say, God's got this. Go ahead, do it right now. God's got this. Son, you know what I've come to tell you? I've come to tell you when you're helpless, you can trust the promises of God. Man, we're told that Martin Luther, the great preacher was given to great bouts of depression. He would slip so deep in the valley, he said he would go downstairs to his basement office and he would stare at the wall for hours and his wife got tired of it. One day that godly woman came in when Martin Luther was so deep in depression he couldn't even study. She sat across from his desk, but she was wearing a long black dress with a black veil over her face. Martin Luther sat up and said, woman, what's wrong? She said, I'm in mourning. He said, why? She said, God's dead. Martin Luther jumped up and hit his fist on the desk and said, don't ever come in my office and talk like that. My God's not dead. She stood up and said, well, then act like it. Can I remind you, my God's not dead. Hey, folks, listen to me. When you're helpless, you can trust the promises of God. I'm going to give you this now. I'm not done. When you're hopeless, you can trust the promises of God. This woman wasn't just helpless. Boy, she was hopeless. I want every teenager to get verse two. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Hey, the man of God asked two questions, students. What you got? What you need? I can answer both of them. She had nothing. She needed everything. But you better hang on to this, because this is if you don't get nothing else tonight, you better get this, and I'll have a spell all by myself, son. You better get this. You may have what you need right now, and you don't even know it. I've been a traveling evangelist a long time. and Preacher, it's wonderful. God's filled the calendar, and, and, and I'll be in churches, and I'm, I'm, sometimes I'm in dead churches. I'm in churches where you want to take a pulse, where you want to holler or breathe. I'm in churches where you just want to see something going on. But then, buddy, God will put me in a church like this that will just refresh me. Preacher, if I went home tomorrow, I've already been refreshed from this great congregation, this wonderful staff you all have. But I'm telling you, in the early days of evangelism, I went into it in 1988, resigned a church bigger than I deserved a pastor, paid me more money I was worth, didn't have any big backers then, don't have them now. God uses the local churches to support our ministry and keep us on the road, keep us going a preacher. In those days, 1988, I had a few revivals on the books. That was it. Once fall ended and December ended, I had two dates in January. They were one day events only, one service events, and I wasn't preaching until March. The wonderful love offering my church had given me when I left to go on the road, it was gone. And uh, we, we were struggling to two little girls that didn't even have a son. Preacher, I drove 500 miles just to preach one sermon. Got a little honorarium check. Then at the end of January, I was gonna preach one more message in central Florida at a church about four hours south of Jacksonville. And I wasn't gonna preach again until early March. And I was struggling. Let me tell you how struggling I was. Are you listening to me? I was so struggling, preacher, that I was thinking about calling the chairman of the search committee of the church I had just left to tell them I'd made a mistake. Would they take me back? I'll tell you, I was struggling. And I drove down there to Tampa, Florida, late January of that year, 1989, I'm struggling. And preacher, when I got there, now look at me, well, you know that when you're down, the devil jumps on you. And I'm down, and all of a sudden, I got down there, and the pastor wasn't even there, Brother Shane. I was pulpit supply. Now, there ain't nothing wrong with pulpit supply. Well, pulpit supply means you're getting an honorarium check. They're not gonna give the people a chance to give. Now, I want you to you understand something. I'm not motivated by money. But money keeps ministry going and God's people give. Understand, they're giving me an honorarium check. In other words, that love offering was a lot of love, little offering. Y'all understand me? That's what they're giving. Son, I'm already in the flesh. And don't look at me like y'all never get in the flesh. I'm already in the flesh. Pastor's not there. I'm pulpit supplied. They're giving me an honorarium. Brother... Everybody leaves that Sunday morning after service and this little old lady comes out my door and presses a red envelope up against me and says, Brother Rick, I'm, I'm, I've got an encouragement ministry and I'm, I want to give you this card to encourage you. Now folks, you can't eat an encouragement card, understand? <laughs> so I'm going to tell you, I walked outside, I walked outside and I looked around, preacher, and everybody had left. They're not even taking me to lunch. I mean, I'm hungry, son. I preach there. Are you listening to me? They're not even taking me to lunch. And in those days, we didn't have any credit cards, no gas cards or nothing. And I had used the little cash I had, no kidding, to fill up my car to drive back to Jacksonville, Florida. And so folks, I had nothing in my wallet. I'm hungry and I'm thinking as I get in my car to drive those four hours back to Jacksonville, I got a lousy encouragement card and I got a honorarium check and I'm hungry. And the only reason I didn't call my wife and complain to her is because we didn't have cell phones in those days. And I'm driving back to Jacksonville Preacher, and I'm, I'm griping, God, I'm out here, I, I'm trying to serve you. Uh, God, nobody knows I'm alive. God, nobody, I don't know how we're going to pay our bills, God. Uh, and they give me this honorarium check, and I already looked at it, it wasn't much. And God, that lousy encouragement card, and I was hungry. I would have loved to have dined with a clown that day, but I couldn't afford McDonald's. I, I, I would have even eaten with a king at Burger King, but I couldn't do it. I drove all the way home, griped and grumbled. Walked in griping and grumbling to my sweet godly wife. I put that honorarium check on the dresser and that lousy encouragement card that I would not opened. The next morning, I decided to open that encouragement card before I threw it out. And I opened it. And there was $25 cash inside the card. Said, please get you something to eat. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Folks, I drove all the way. I could have eaten with a colonel that day, man. I had 25 bucks. And I drove, listen, I drove all the way home. My need had been met and I didn't even know it. think I'll say that one more time. My need had been met and I didn't even know it. Are you listening to me? Son, what you think is trash, my God uses as treasure. What you think can't be used, my almighty God will use. And before I go on, and I didn't mean to get so wrapped up in this point, but it's too late, it's out of the can. Before I finish, don't miss this. Can I tell you something right now? This woman had what she needed and didn't know it. The Bible says, don't miss it. The Bible said the last line of verse 2, students, she had a pot of oil. Some Bible scholars believe that was holy oil. Why in the world would a young preacher have oil like that if he wasn't anointing people for the ministry? Whether or not it was used to anoint people for the ministry, it was holy oil because it was God's oil. Can I go in and lay something on some child of God that you need to hear, the devil's been beating you up and you think you're at the bottom of the barrel? And you think you're worth this. Are you ready? You might want to hang on to something. If you're a blood-bought, spirit-filled child of God, you've got an oil well inside you right now. Right now. Jesus said in John 7, He that believes in me out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And this spake he to those who would receive the Holy Ghost. You've got an oil well inside of you. What are you trying to say, Rick? I'm trying to say you don't have one need in your life that the Holy Ghost cannot meet. Some of you are at war with your teenager and you're constantly losing the war. You got an oil well inside of you. Some of you are going home to an empty house because your mate's already gone and in heaven, but it's not completely empty. God is with you and you've got an oil well inside of you. Some of you are gonna wake up in the morning with your body racked with pain, don't know how you're going to put your feet on the floor, but you've got an oil well inside of you. Some of you here don't know how you're going to face tomorrow, but you've got an oil well inside of you. Greater is he that is in you, hallelujah, than he that's in the world. Well, I got a little wrapped up in that point, but let me go on quickly. I won't be long. You need to trust the promises of God. Number two, when trouble knocks at your door, don't, 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 don't miss this now. Not only do you need to trust the promises of God, but you need to turn to the presence of God. First, you got to trust, then you got to turn. But look, what, I love verse three. Preacher, I'd love to have been there for this. Verse three said, then he said, go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. Word empty means worthless. Everybody got a mental picture? I want you to go around the neighborhood and I want you to get empty vessels, empty pots. Don't get a cup of sugar. Don't, don't get a sack of flour. Don't get a pail of water. Go get a pot and make sure it's empty. Now folks, if it's empty, It's worthless. Wanted a peanut butter and banana sandwich a few weeks ago. I love peanut butter and banana, but I love it when it's Jif extra crunchy peanut butter, extra crunchy, and them little thin slices of banana on Jif extra crunchy peanut butter. And I I just got worked up, got a craving, and I went to our pantry, and there it was that two pound jar of Jif extra crunchy peanut butter. And I picked that thing up and noticed how light it was. And then when I screwed the lid off and looked inside, it's empty. I mean, all that was there was just around the the, It was so deceptive. I was so mad. I didn't even put it in recycle. I threw it right straight in the trash. I thought, this is so worthless. What are you trying to say, Bridget? Son, when something's empty, it's worthless. I don't give a rip if you've got a $100,000 car. If it ain't got gas in it tonight, it's worthless. It's not going to do nothing. Son, it's worthless when it's empty. The Bible said, don't miss this. The man of God said, go down the street and get pots. And be sure they're empty. Can you imagine that scene? If they had phones the those, hey, that Looney tune coming down the street, don't you enter your door. She wants an empty pot. Can you imagine that woman knocking on the door? Yes, may I help you? Yeah, I'd like a pot. What you want in it? Nothing. What you gonna do with it? I don't know. And this woman's walking around with all these empty pots. Everybody knows what I'm going to say before I wrap this up. But let me go ahead and say it. Why in the world did God want him empty? Oh, come on, son. You know the answer to that. My God specializes in filling empty things. Don't you understand that? Oh, come on. My God stood in creation and spoke to an empty universe and filled it with suns and moons and stars and planets. My God stood before the earth in Genesis 1 without form and void and spoke and filled it with mountains and rivers and lakes and trees. My God speaks to empty things. And by the way, Brother Shane, you know, that's the key to revival. You'll not have revival till you empty yourself of sin and substitutes and self. God, empty us. That's when revival comes. Don't miss this. I told you this will be very brief. My last point will be very brief. Let me, let me get to the rest of this. Empty, I said empty. Watch this, this is obedience now. Obedience, trust and obey. Notice two things about this woman very quickly. First of all, she was intimately obedient. Have you ever thought about that? Look what it said. Boy, this will preach. Look at verse four. And when thou word come in, thou shalt shut the door. Shut the door. You know what that word shut means? Hear me, student. That word shut means to close out. The man of God told a woman to go into an empty house with all them pots and close the door. Boy, that's revival. What the are you talking about? You do understand revival is closing things out. Now, I know when we come here every night, you've got to go to work and school during the day, and we're not completely closing it out. That's why our ministry has a big student camp every year. That's why I love student retreats. That's why I love marriage seminars. That's why I love Bible conferences, to close things out. And I know you're not going to completely close things out tomorrow, but God's given us four days this week to come into his presence, to worship him. Close When we come to an altar, we close things out. We get away from the world, it's biblical. Preacher, uh, thank God for a pastor that still believes in revivals. Hey, listen to me, Maysfield. Don't ever take revivals for granted. Maysfield, don't ever miss that. We've got to have revivals. Not so you can employ some evangelists. I'm not employed this week, son. This is my vocation. But thank God for a pastor in a generation when churches don't want to have revivals anymore that still says, We're going to set aside four days. But, oh, Brother Rick, you don't understand. We're so busy. Are you kidding me? Too busy to be in the presence of the Lord. Too busy to bring our burdens before Him. Too busy to shut up? Oh, come on. Some people can't turn off Facebook long enough to come to church, man. To be in the presence of the Lord. Because this is what it means, students. It means to close out. She was intimately obedient. And then, boy, you better get this. She was instantly obedient. Boy, that's good. For look what it says in verse five. So she went from him and shut the door. Preacher, no debate, no discussion. She instantly did what God told her to do. I want every student, every young student, y'all got a bunch of students here. I love students. Student, let me, let me give you the key to a successful Christian life. It's one word, obedience. You know one of the greatest verses in the Bible, student, on Obedience. You ought to claim this verse for your whole life. John 2, 5, the marriage supper of Canaan in Galilee. When they ran out of wine, you remember? And the mother of Jesus told the servants, whatever Jesus asked you to do, do it. One of the biggest mistakes I ever made in my teenage life. When my daddy told me one time to do something, I said, just a minute. <laughs> that was a bad day. Y'all understand me? Hey, I want, I want every boy and girl, every student to hear, hear me what I'm saying right now. When you tell your mom and dad in a minute, boys, that's not procrastination, that's disobedience. Amen. God don't grade on the curve. Instant obedience before the, oh, guys, God called me to preach. I'm pretty full tonight, preacher. I don't know what time we're going to get out. I'll get done. God, God called me to preach. 16 years old, teenagers. I had a stuttering problem. Are you listening? Stuttering. I, I stuttered when I read scripture. I couldn't help it. I stuttered. I, I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I loved baseball. And I, the thrill of talking about baseball, I could talk about that. But I, couldn't, I could not read. I wasn't illiterate. But I couldn't read out loud. Preacher, I'd try to read the Bible. And I had a lot of places to preach as a 16-year-old because my daddy was a pastor. And a lot of churches invited me. Girls would giggle and guys would laugh. I was so humiliated. So I started finding the smallest text in the Bible. I preached so many sermons from Jesus wept. I preached on tithing before from Jesus wept. I'd say, if you ain't tithing, Jesus is weeping. And you know, there's a, I mean, that's the truth. I told God one day he'd made a mistake. I was preaching and I was stuttering, Brother David. I said, God, you've made a mistake. And I had an engagement that next Sunday morning in a little town called Lithia, Florida. And I was out in the woods behind my daddy's house. Daddy was a pastor. I was fixing to go tell my daddy, Daddy, I can't do this thing called preaching. My daddy didn't call me. God called me, so my, 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 my daddy wouldn't have been embarrassed by that. My daddy would have been disappointed because I'd said I was going to do something and didn't do it. Preacher, I'm out there walking in those woods, and I said, God, I'm so sick of stuttering. Now, folks, this is the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And I got down in the dirt, in the dirt, 16-year-old boy, almost 17, got down in the dirt in the middle of the woods behind my daddy's rural house in that rural church he pastored. And I said, God, I don't want to do this because I'm so humiliated. I'm telling you folks, I heard God, not here, but here. God said, I've called you. Beyond all that, I had the call. God said, I just want you to obey me. I said, okay, God, I'm going to obey God. If you want me to preach, God, I'm going to trust you. Because I picked up the phone. I was going to call that preacher Sunday morning and tell him I couldn't come. But I didn't. I said, God, I'm gonna trust you. Brother David, I pulled up at that church on Sunday morning in the 1970s. I threw my Bible on that dashboard and I wept at that steering wheel. I said, God, I'm fixing to go preach. I've never preached without stuttering. God, would you take this impediment from me? Now, folks, all I've got is my testimony and integrity. But I stood that Sunday morning, opened my mouth and read a verse of Scripture and did not stutter and have never stuttered since that day. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to tell you when you obey God, God blesses your life. Trust and obey. No other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Here's what we've learned, and I'm wrapping this up. Anybody got trouble knocking at your door? You have to trust the promises of God. You have to turn to the presence of God. Do it instantly, do it intimately. And finally, and I'm done right now. And Now this is the faith, you ready? This faith. If you're gonna trust in his promises and turn to his presence, you need to go ahead and thank him for his provisions. Oh yeah, well it's good now. Look at verse six, and it came to pass as the vessels were full. She said to her son, bring me yet a vessel. He said to her, there's not a vessel more in the old state." That word stayed there means ceased or stopped. In other words, they ran out of oil. No, they didn't run out of oil. There's plenty of oil. She ran out of pots. If that woman had had a million pots, God would have filled every one of them. She would have been an oil baroness. She would add more oil than Oklahoma and Alaska combined. Son, she didn't run out of, heaven never never runs out of oil. She ran out of pots. Preacher, I read my Bible and I find a principle in this book. Little faith brings little blessings. Great faith brings great blessings. Maysville needs to hear that tonight. This is a great church. Little faith brings little blessings. Great faith brings great blessings. Oh, you've launched out. You're doing some incredible stuff. Keep on keeping on, keep on. And then the Bible said in that last verse, you don't think this woman struck it? The oil well came, then she came and told the man of God, he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt and live thou and thy children and the rest. No wonder the man of God said, get all the pots you can carry. That woman needed a miracle. Anybody here need a miracle? I still love that story. The two men that went trout fishing, <laughs> I love it. And they're standing on the banks and they're fishing for trout. They're pulling them in. One of his buddies looked, buddy looked and saw that his buddy was doing something really weird, man. Every time he caught a trout, he pulled a ruler out of his pocket and measured the trout. And if the trout was longer than the ruler, he threw the trout back. So consequently, he was throwing back the big ones, keeping the little ones. It was driving his buddy crazy. He finally, spoke up and said, man, are you out of your mind? As a fisherman, I got to bring this up. Do you understand that you're throwing back the big ones? Why in the world are you doing that? And the man looked at him and held up his ruler and said, because my skillet is only eight inches. <laughs> Rather than buying a bigger skillet, he was settling for smaller fish. I think I'll say that one more time. Rather than buying a bigger skillet, settling for smaller fish. I let somebody read this after the service. A woman said this to me in December Our ministry hit a tough spot in December. Brother Shane, we'll do that once in a while. Hit a little rough patch, always testing our faith because we support 20 missionaries a month. It was going to be close to, because I'm off the road in December to support all those missionaries and I write those checks out of the ministry and then meet payroll and everything for January. I closed the checkbook, brother Shane, wasn't going to do it. Spirit of God said, you get that checkbook, write those checks by faith, I'll take care of you. This woman sent our ministry a $1,000 check two weeks later. Her name's Jana. Jana said her and her husband, I'd been in her church 15 years ago. She found out I was still an evangelist. She believed in our ministry. Said so they had a concrete business and the recession had hit them hard. They'd not recovered, but they'd pressed on. Then finally they realized one day they weren't tithing. They started tithing. Their needs started being met. I said, brother Rick, we're still struggling. Went to my husband and said, we need to support some ministries. And they sent me that check for thousand dollars. Not me, to our ministry. And she wrote this and I've underlined it. I'll give it to you after service. You wanna read it. She said, my fuel manager is a lost man. And he was filling up the trucks in December. Wasn't sure how we were going to make it or manage to fill all the trucks that we needed to to make ends meet. But I trusted God and wrote checks. She told me she sent this letter after she wrote the check. She got the letter after she, she, wrote, that after she wrote the check. Here's what she said. She said, so I went to him one day after we determined to put God first and trust him. Lost man said this, I don't know what's happening Every time I go to check the big tank, it's only down a little bit. Less seems to be coming out of the tank than's going in the trucks. It's like the tank is multiplying fuel. How many know my God is able? I'll say it for the last time. God's got this. Bow your heads all over the building. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Would you stand to your feet with those heads bowed and eyes closed? All over the house, you have been so wonderfully patient with me. I've gotten full tonight. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I want to do something. Every time God leads me to preach this sermon, Pastor, you thrill me today when you ask me to stand down here because I don't want to get involved in this invitation tonight. I'm not usurping anybody's authority. I get to get involved in this. So here's what we're going to do. Give me a minute. First of all, somebody here in this big crowd's lost. I guarantee not everybody here's saved. Somebody, you know how lost people make it? They don't. Then they die without God and go to hell. Some of you are lost tonight and you need an oil well inside of you. Jesus saves. Somebody needs to walk down this aisle and take this preacher by the hand, say, pastor, I need to be saved. Somebody needs to join this church. If God's told you to join this church and you haven't, you're not obedient. God wants you to be obedient. Somebody needs to be baptized. You need to be obedient. Men of God are gonna be here to receive you, but I wanna do this, preacher. Tonight's ministry night. I'm gonna invite people to the altar and I want the privilege to pray for you or as many as I can. I'm gonna walk along the front. I'm gonna ask the men of God to get involved. I want them free to receive people. We're gonna lay hands on you. Just walk around, lay hands. We're not invading your space. Just lay hands on your shoulders, your head and pray for you. Would you give us that privilege to do that? All across the building. Somebody here has a marital need, financial need, physical need. Somebody needs the touch of God It's something in your life and all you've got is a pot of oil. I'm asking you to bring that pot of oil to Jesus. Brother Shane, I'm asking these people in this big crowd all over this building to come and kneel at this altar and let us walk around and just minister to you. Would you let us do that? Does anybody need a miracle tonight? Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank you for the privilege to preach. God, this was the message you wanted preached on this night. And now, God, I pray that folks would not worry about what people think. Or let being in the middle of a crowded row stop them. I pray folks would come and bring their needs to the altar, God, and let folks pray for them. God, we want to minister tonight. Turn this into a ministry service right now. Heal, move, and we'll trust you in Jesus' name, I pray. And the music's beginning to play. Music's beginning to play. All over the building, I'm inviting you to come. Come on, I'm inviting you to come. Our churches have hurting people. I'm inviting you to come. And men of God that will join me, if you're a man of God in this house, deacons, leaders, brush hand them, I ask our deacons to join us. I want you to come across the front with me and we're gonna lay hands on people and pray for them tonight. All across the building. Now I preach to the body again, to the church, but somebody might need to be saved. Somebody might need to be obedient. Brother David's talking with one, pastor's here, our brother deacon is here. We're gonna pray. Brother Philip, you do what God tells you to do. When this, when this brother starts singing, you join him and sing. But but we're going to minister tonight